I'm a 90s kid. And something that I grew up with that I didn't realize was new for the times uh, was blackness. I grew up in a time where black people were everywhere. The WB, UPN, Serena Williams, Venus Williams, Tiger Woods, the 90s Bulls. No matter where you turned on your TV, you saw prominent people of color, right? BT, MTV, VH1. It seemed like black people ran the world. And I never really considered that that was a new thing. Um, it wasn't until much later that I grew up and, you know, studied African-American history in college. Right. But the way it worked was black was cool. Blackness dictated everything. Fubu was like the biggest brand in the world. Like if you wanted your stuff to ring off in the nineties and two thousands, you had to get black people attached to make it a trend. And then sales would go through the roof. Right. And something that I didn't know again at the time was that that was new, but the way we grew up was blackness was everywhere on TV and in media. I mean, we even had shows like my brother and me on Nickelodeon, Keenan and Kel and so on. Uh, and then you would learn, you know, about the civil rights movement or whatever during black history month. And it was like, okay, cool. Well, that was back then. Racism was like back in the sixties, you know, 30 years ago, who cares? <laughs> and the world is the world now. And it wasn't until way later in life that uh, I learned just how the world has changed over time, specifically in America, um, but hasn't really changed. And of course, you know, I'm 32. It's 2023. We've had the Black Lives Matter movement. We've seen uprisings. We've seen the George Floyd protests and the Breonna Taylor protests and the Eric Garner protest and the Trayvon Martin protest. And we've seen so many instances of unrest um, brought on by what feel like or what may have been described as like the remnants of racism, white supremacy, poor race relations. Those things seemed like relics of the past. And you think about people like Rodney King or James Byrd Jr. Um, and, you know, we could argue another day whether or not things have changed at all or if they're they're more of the same or whatever. Um, but it wasn't until, you know, I got into comics that I realized comics haven't really changed like that. And so when I was getting uh, into online comics communities, uh, when I started reading comics in 2019, I came dead in the middle of this movement called Comicsgate, which was basically uh, some people's answer to uh, the diversity efforts and, and initiatives that had making their way uh, that had, that had made their way into comics of the day. Um, and so it would be super often that I would start reading uh, or start watching someone's YouTube review. And it would start off like, yeah, man, you know, this comic is great, except uh, this woke agenda. I'm so sick of them. They've got to put like four black women in. the. And it was it was really weird. It was really weird, uh, to say the least, as a black man reading comics that I thought 
were just comics for everyone. And so in my sort of uh, discomfort, I kind of just started looking out for like, well, who are the black characters? When did this start? And, and so on and so forth. And I sort of came across a name, Milestone. Now, I wasn't familiar with Milestone as a company, but I was familiar with their most popular character, Static, because the Static Shock TV show was a part of that sort of cultural renaissance of the 90s and 2000s that I was talking about. I remember vividly watching Static Shock on the kids WB thinking it was the coolest thing ever, not registering that it was the first time an African-American superhero was featured prominently on television. I just thought, hey, this is cool. It's coming on after Seabear and Jamal, <laughs> you know. And so when I realized that or I started doing more research and learning about Milestone as a company, about uh, their four years they spent in production and, and how they basically, you know, kind of died on the vine so to speak, um, at least at the time that I was researching them. And what I found was such a rich history um, in what I would call the original milestone experiment. It, it's, there's, I don't know that there's really a great way to describe just the wealth of knowledge, the wealth of creativity, um, and just how much of a hat trick they pulled off just by existing like it's equal parts uh the no limit groundbreaking distribution deal for master p or for uh cash money with birdman and slim right there's that uh there's the sort of creative zeitgeist that was in living color that launched the careers of so many people like milestone really was all of these things in one all in the you know little known comic book industry, right? The funny books, the books that people, you know, stopped collecting after, you know, we found out you weren't going to get a million dollars for your uh, 1991 copy of X-Men number one, right? And the more I dove into the behind the scenes story of Milestone, um, and the more I started reading the comics alongside my, my knowledge of that history, the more I was just amazed at just how well all of this had been done and sort of astonished in the fact that it hasn't been done as well since, even with all the technology and all of the connectivity that we have. Like I can name eight people from eight different cultures that I know just from the Internet now, but something about that wealth of people being holed up in those little offices in New York, putting out some of the best material of their lives and the best material of the medium for a really short four year window, just really set the stage for everything that was going to come after. And so seven minutes in <laughs> today's episode is about the enduring legacy of milestone and why I think it matters so much. So, to talk about comics post-Milestone, we've got to talk about them pre-Milestone. Um, it's not that Milestone created black characters for the first time when they debuted in 1993. We've had black heroes like, you know, 
going super far back. We've got Luke Cage, the hero for hire. We've got Black Panther, T'Challa. We've got Black Lightning. We've got uh, a lot of different characters, but mostly when you think of them, I think uh, Black Panther is probably the the rousing exception. A lot of them are uh, depicting depictions of stereotypes, or sort of ripped out of like the black exploitation movies and, and stereotypes that you saw there. Um, and the voices for the characters are sometimes authentic, sometimes really cringy. The stories they're involved in are sometimes authentic and sometimes really cringy. And ultimately, absent like, you know, the Black Panther film that came in 2018, there were not a lot of moments where you could be like super proud of the black character, right, in comics. I think just from my personal reading history one of the characters i like most is storm i love that storm of the x-men uh is viewed as a goddess in her homelands but i don't like that she's viewed as a goddess because she's a mutant and controls the sky and people just are adept to worship sky gods um it makes them seem you know insignificant or or or, or less intelligent in that way i don't like that storm's background was that she was a thief and pickpocket in Harlem, right? I don't like that every chance they got, they made Storm naked. Like, why does Storm have an aversion to clothes? And who who is the audience that is like gazing at Storm in the in these books, right? So even like some of the the characters that we would like to celebrate most have these sort of fatal flaws that make it difficult to root for. Um, one of my other favorite characters is John Stewart. Green Lantern, John Stewart. And I mostly uh, am enamored with John because of his creation story as told by Neil Adams. Uh, and Neil Adams, uh, RIP, would tell stories about just his back and forths with DC editorial about John Stewart's name and John Stewart's background. Now he's not going to talk jive and so on. And I just found that to be really admirable, even though Jon Stewart's created by, you know, white men, that there was so much thought put into who Jon Stewart was going to be. Um, but since, you know, you don't really hear a ton of stories about people really caring about the characters they put into the books, um, at least not from a, a, an ethnicity standpoint or a cultural standpoint in that way. Uh, but enter Milestone in the early 90s. You know, there are several black people who are working in comics as writers, artists, editors, and they're led by a group or they're a group uh, sort of spearheaded by artist Dennis Cowan, who was famous for his run on The Question. He had done some stuff with, on Batman. I mean, he'd worked on pretty much every DC character up until that point. Um, and he'd worked a lot at Marvel as well. Um, he's actually a protege of Neil Adams. But anyway, Dennis Cowan's got this idea like, hey, like, let's start a black comic book company with black comic book characters. And um, the first person he goes to with this idea is an artist named Michael Davis. Now, Michael Davis was a comic book artist and was more so known as a fine artist, um, but his sort of uh, his, his sort of uh, 
golden trait is that he was a connector. He was a connector. He knew everyone. Um, and he was also had an ear to the streets. He knew a lot of young talent because he had a mentoring program. And so Michael Davis, who had previously worked at D.C., I think the most recent thing he had done at the time was some work for Mike Grell during the Longbow Hunter saga. He did a series called Shadow. Um, but anyway, Dennis Cowan goes to Mike Davis and is like, yo, we should start like a black comic book company with black characters. And Mike Davis is like, yo, you're crazy. But sure, I'm down. Let, let's find somebody to write it. And so they go to two people. They go to Dwayne McDuffie who was a brilliant writer uh, at this point, um, pretty much out the gate. Like Dwayne McDuffie is, is looked at as one of like the sort of patron saints of comics, especially of creators of color. So they go to Dwayne McDuffie, he's down, and then they go to Christopher Priest, who then was known as Jim Owsley, who had been an editor at both Marvel and DC, and in fact was the first black editor at both companies which is insane to think about uh so anyway they get jim owsley and they're like all right you're gonna be our our editor-in-chief cool and then it's like all right we need a businessman so they grab uh derek's child or excuse me dennis's childhood friend derek dingle who was working basically running black enterprise magazine at the time. I mean, if you're going to find a business guy, the guy running business at the premier black business magazine is probably the guy to get. And so there's our, there's our group, our ownership group of five. They huddle together in a series of hotel rooms and McDonald's <laughs> parking lots or whatever. And they, slowly put together this world. They create these characters. Uh, there's Icon, who starts out as a, a, a guy named Paragon. But Icon, he's this alien who crash lands on Earth, takes the form of the, the nearest life form, but that happens to be a slave woman named Miriam, uh, playing on the Moses story, of course. Uh, and, you know, he grows up. He's got all sorts of powers, invulnerability, flight, laser eyes, like all the things, right? So basically the Superman analog, you've got uh, his assistant or his sidekick, Rocket, who is basically the only reason he ever even becomes a superhero. That's a different story. You got Hardware. Hardware is a tech genius who is slighted by his corporate uh, employer and decides to run rogue when he finds out that one, he's not going to get to share in the profits the way he feels like he should. And two, his boss is really like <laughs> an evil, evil, mad scientist, dude. Like, he's just evil. Uh, so he's like, All right, I'm breaking bad. I'm, I'm fighting the system. Right. And then there are the blood syndicate. They're a gang or uh, people from a few different gangs who meet up one night uh, to fight. Right. There's going to be a big brawl. They're going to call it the Big Bang. And they're all going to fight each other, all these gangs, to figure out who's going to be the leader of this turf on this island, Paris Island. Well, the night of the Big Bang, uh, the police get wind of it. And they're like, oh, this is going to be a great opportunity to tag all of these gangbangers so we can go collar them later. And so they're using this experimental tear gas that's supposed to just, like I said, tag them some sort of way so they can go and track them later. 
Well, instead, it kills a bunch of them. And the ones that it doesn't kill, it gives superpowers. And so a lot of these gang members who are left over after the event, they come together and they form the Blood Syndicate. And they are now a new gang that is going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that their turf, Paris Island, is safe from whomever they need to be safe from. The police, the government, outside invaders, internal people, whoever. So that's the Blood Syndicate. But someone else who was present on the night of the Big Bang was this school kid, this kid named Virgil, who uh, had been bullied, had been teased and basically made a fool of in, in front of the whole school. And so one of his older friends is like, you know what, man, you can't take that from this bully. Like, you got to fight back. So he gives him a gun. And he's like, you know, this dude is going to be at the Big Bang. You should just go there. You know, you pop him. He'll just be another dead gangbanger. Nobody will know the difference. Nobody will know it's you. So Virgil goes to the Big Bang with a gun in hand, like to take care of business. Grows a conscience and is like, nah, man, I'm not a killer. I can't do that. And goes to throw the gun away. And as he's doing that, the police show up and they throw the tear gas and he's caught up right along with them. And he comes out of it with his life but also with his life changed forever uh, because this tear gas gives him electromagnetic powers and he becomes a superhero called Static. So we've got a bunch of our uh, analogs here. We've got our Spider-Man analog in Static. We've got our sort of Batman analog in Hardware. We've got like an X-Men analog in Blood Syndicate. And we've got our Superman analog in Icon. And... Man, just out of the gate, all I've described to you is maybe the first two issues of each of these series. And it's such a rich, a rich world. And so without even talking about the richness of the world that was the Dakota universe, let's talk about how it came into fruition. So Priest, McDuffie, Cowan, Davis, Dingle, they all go to D.C. They're meeting with Paul Levitz. They've put together this huge document. It's called the Milestone Bible. They put together this Bible and uh, they take it to D.C. Paul Levitz reads it. Jeanette Kahn reads it. They're like, we love it. Let's do a deal. And so Milestone Media, which had already been incorporated before D.C. ever came into the picture, strikes an insane deal with DC. It's basically a licensing deal. So Milestone owns all of their characters, all their intellectual property and the company themselves, their entity. That's all split between the uh, now four founders because Christopher Priest actually drops out of the group um, shortly before everything, you know, all goes into production. But uh, so all this intellectual property split between the four founders and then uh, DC gets the publishing rights. And so Milestone gets to put out whatever they want. DC does have the right to refuse to publish something, but they have no editorial control. And just like that, Milestone has premier shelf space alongside Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, some of the greatest heroes in comics and not only that but they've got four books that come out every month which means they've got a book for every week of the month 
and there suddenly are black superheroes on the stands all the time in 1993, where there are also black people on TV all the time. The Wayans brothers, Martin, uh, all this stuff that kind of comes a little bit later on in the 90s and 2000s, but it's there. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. In fact, uh, on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, if you ever look uh, in the pool house, when Will and Carlton stay in the pool house, there are actually four posters in the background. And those four posters feature all those main four uh, milestone characters we just talked about. Uh, so there's a fun Easter egg for you to go look for. Um, because the truth is, blackness was currency in this day. Um, and there was nothing for you to see Martin wearing like an African-American college alliance sweatshirt. Um, and you know, the Cosby show was on TV, a different world was on TV. And again, blackness was cool and it gets represented during this time period. And what's great about milestone, I think is sort of overlooked and overlooked fact about milestone is that milestone wasn't just black. Uh, the idea may have started that way. And the ownership group was certainly, you know, for black men, but muchly or largely because of Dwayne McDuffie, Milestone never just stayed black. They were really multicultural. Their teams are super diverse, diverse in gender, diverse in race, um, specifically when we talk about the blood syndicate. Um, and they're even diverse in sexuality and gender identity. In a time where that stuff really wasn't talked about in comics, one of Static's best friends uh, actually is uh, a homosexual man. Um, one of the or two of the members of the Blood Syndicate were actually transgender. Uh, so these were topics that were were dove into fully. Uh, there is not to this day, in my opinion, there is not a a set of comics that is more sort of raw than Milestone was, or even as raw as the original Milestone was. Um, and it's crazy just how much of a punch they packed in those four short years. Now, they spun off other titles. Uh, Blood Syndicate member Wise Son got a miniseries of his own. Uh, Death Wish was a, an antagonist from Hardware that also got a uh, miniseries as well. Uh, so we got some other uh, books out. Uh, the Shadow Cabinet was a different team uh, consisting of different milestone heroes. So Icon, Static and so on uh, become members of the Shadow Cabinet. Um, and then after the Shadow Cabinet shuts down, there are heroes, uh, which, excuse me, Static wasn't a member of the Shadow Cabinet, but Static was a member of the heroes team that came later. Uh, so really, really cool stories Uh each character in the Milestone universe has a really rich origin and background. Um, I don't know, man. There's so much that I could say that I don't want to try to say it all in this in this little podcast. But um, that's the Milestone universe in a nutshell. This That's how it worked, the original Milestone. But I wanted to record this, not to just give you like a short oral history because there's plenty of resources for that you can watch the milestone generations documentary that came out last year on hbo max um robert kirkman had a series called the secret history of comics and there is an episode dedicated to milestone i believe it's episode five 
that's dedicated to sort of the rise and fall of milestone comics. Um, so you could watch that for, for sorts of history lessons. Um, but even today, Milestone's actually back. So Milestone closed in 1997, uh, or at least they closed their publishing arm uh, just because, you know, the comic book bubble had burst. Relations with DC or the relationship with DC had been strained in, a, in many ways. Um, and so they kind of unceremoniously left the stands um, without as much as even indicating it in their titles, you know, Um and people thought Milestone was gone forever, even after the success of the Static Shock animated series that came out in the year 2000. I grew up watching Static and never knowing that it was based on a comic book, although it's right there in the credits of every episode. Um, but even with as popular as Static was on the kids WB, uh, they never got like any sort of toy deal. And so the animation had to get cut. Right. Um, and, and that was kind of it for milestone after that, after those four seasons of static shock. And then, um, from there, there were talks of the static or the milestone universe sort of being folded into DC proper. Uh, there was an update to the deal made that would allow the milestone characters to be used by DC proper. Um, the terms of that deal are not public. So I don't know if DC like bought a stake in the characters or anything like that or how that exactly worked, but a deal was made, um, and largely with Dwayne McDuffie sort of serving as the 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 sort of spearhead of all things Milestone. But then in 2011, Dwayne McDuffie passed away. And with that, seemingly all hope that the company would sort of have a rebirth uh, kind of dat went away. Um, but thanks to Dennis Cowan and Reggie Hudlin for just sort of being relentless um in their wanting it to be revived, Milestone is back. Uh, Milestone put out a special called Milestone Returns uh, back in 2020. I think it was late 2020 when they put that out. Um, and since then, we've gotten new uh, versions of Static, Icon and Rocket, The Blood Syndicate. Um, all, all of those are there as well as hardware. There are new hardcovers. I'm looking at them on my shelf. And that is amazing. The fact that the company was allowed to be back. But why I wanted to highlight the sort of legacy of Milestone, I want to be careful in calling it a legacy because when you think of legacy, you think of something that someone already passed on, right? But Milestone is still very much alive. But the who's who of talent that was developed at Milestone or that worked at Milestone, like the list of names is staggering. Uh, Milestone introduces us to John Paul Leon, right? Chris Cross, uh, Noelle Giddings, who uh, ended up doing a lot of colors. She was their first color editor. Uh, Joe Illich, who went on to be an editor in DC and mostly shepherded the No Man's Land event in the Batman office. Um, Jimmy Palmiotti, who was already in the comics industry, but did a lot of inks during that time. There are just so many names. Umberto Ramos, J.J. Uh, Burst, D.G. Chichester, like so many people who 
we sort of know, love, and revere. Tommy Lee Edwards got their starts or did significant work in their early careers through and because of Milestone. Uh, when you ever you hear Milestone alumni talk to each other, they 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 always speak of like this sort of magic that was in the room, was in the offices, um, that just sort of made them feel alive and like they're at home. Um, and even the people that were inspired by Milestone, even though they weren't directly uh, related there, there's a whole crop of creators of color now who directly looked to Milestone's example, right? I think of people like Marcus Williams and Greg Burnham um, of Tuskegee Airs fame, right? I think of people like Brandon Thomas, uh, who wrote with Kari Randolph and Emilio Lopez, the Excellence series. Uh, there are so, so many people who, when you dig into their history, they credit Milestone and just Milestone existing on shelves as the impetus for them to start their careers, the inspiration for them to say, oh, I, I do. Ha I could have a career in this. Um, and even as a fan, right, as a fan, Milestone impacted me so much because in a time where, you know, 15, 20 years after the Milestone experiment, I was still like sort of being seen or being met with sort of vitriol online, I found this little corner of comics to just celebrate. And I, I was reading Milestone books and it was, it's funny because, and I've given this analogy a lot, but a lot of times people, you'll read a book by a certain writer, like let's say it's Batman by Tom King, the early issues. And you're like, oh man, this guy really gets the character. He really gets it. Um, but when I was reading static for the first time i was like yo this book like whoever wrote this like gets me like this sounds like how i was talking when i was a kid these concerns these fears these are concerns and fears that i have even today and what's insane about that original milestone material is just how relevant it is today and i think that is a hallmark or that's because they rooted it so much in reality without necessarily shoving an agenda down anyone's throat or anything. They spoke of real issues, racism, anti-Semitism, gentrification, uh, you know, their, their gender roles, uh, gender diversity, so many different things that Milestone spoke about that feel like they could be ripped out of the headlines today. Um, and, you know, for better or worse, it's just an example of how far America hasn't necessarily come that we're still having some of these same conversations. So it's it's just great. The the legacy of Milestone is so, so amazing to me. And that is why, as a fan who now has like this sort of pseudo platform on YouTube and in this podcast and the blog, Whenever I see Milestone anywhere, like I'm going to be the one that gets on the microphone and tells you, hey, this is worth checking out. Everything they did before was amazing. I would give them a shot now. And um, I'm happy to do it because Milestone really made my fan experience better. And what more could you really ask for from a comic book? So that's it. 
was my 30 minute spiel on why Milestone is so important to me and why you should check them out. So if you are looking to check out the original Milestone uh, stuff, you can grab the Milestone Compendium. Uh, volumes one and two are available uh, from our sponsor, Organic Price Books. You can just go to bjkicks.link slash milestone, and there you'll be able to pre-order or to order uh, Milestone Compendium Volume 1. Um, and if you go to bjkicks.link slash milestone two, you can order Volume 2. Those links will be in the show notes. Um, but I would also encourage you to check out the the new Milestone. I don't know if we want to call it Milestone 2.0. The milestone returns, but right now you can grab Hardware Season 1, you can grab Static Season 1, and you can grab Icon and Rocket Season 1, all in hardcover format. They're all six-issue miniseries, and they sort of re-establish the world of milestones. You don't have to read anything that came before. You can grab any of or all of those titles um, and be completely satisfied with whatever parts of it you read. Uh, So those are out. Uh, very soon, we're going to get the hardcover for Blood Syndicate, as well as Duo, which is a reworking of a character they had called Zombie, which I feel like was a really, really slept on series. Uh, Duo was as well as Zombie. Uh, so check those out. Those will be in shops soon. Um, and if you want to know more about the history of Milestone, we actually did an interview with Milestone co-founder Dennis Cowan. You can check that out on our YouTube channel. I'll leave a link to that video in the show notes below. And um, hey, look, I don't know. I'm sure this won't be the last word I say about Milestone. But if it becomes that, just know I'm super, super excited to have shared it with you. Thanks for listening.